Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, the killings of eight people at Atlanta area spas last March, six of them Asian women, brought new attention and efforts to address violence and harassment against Asians. But the group Stop AAPI Hate has found that in the year since Atlanta, one in five Asian American and Pacific Islanders have experienced a hate incident. And a National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum survey finds more than 70% of AAPI women experience racism or discrimination in the past year. This hour, we look at what, if anything, has changed in the fight against Asian hate. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The killings of eight people a year ago, most of them Asian women at Atlanta-area spas, were horrific and tragic. They at once terrified, angered, and saddened many Asian Americans. And they marked a moment when it seemed more non-Asians in America were able to see that the rise in violence and harassment and the deaths of elderly Asians before the Atlanta spa killings were tied to race. There came pronouncements and resolutions from elected officials, new media attention, and the hope for some that the way our country acknowledged and addressed anti-Asian racism would change for the better. So where are we now? Do you think we've made progress? Listeners are welcome to answer those questions by calling us at 866-733-6786 or by posting them on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at KQED Forum. And let me tell you who is joining us. Nellie Tran is Associate Professor of Counseling and School Psychology at San Diego State University. Nellie Tran, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. This is such an important topic. Yes, yes. R.O. Kwan is also with us. Last March, R.O., just after the spa killings, wrote a popular article for Vanity Fair titled, A Letter to My Fellow Asian Women Whose Hearts Are Still Breaking. R.O., really glad to have you with us, too. Thank you for having me and thank you for holding this space. So R.O., I guess I should start by putting the same questions I just put to the audience to you with next week marking one year since the killings in Atlanta, which also seemed to mark a moment when the country was willing to acknowledge the problem of anti-Asian racism in ways that it hadn't before. Do you feel like we've made progress? Oh, um... I've been thinking about this and I feel as though, well, 
One difference that I do see is um, I think there's far less overt disbelief that there is a problem at all, which which I think is why as of a year ago, there were a lot of people who were still just like, is that a thing? Do Asians face racism? Um, and, and so that's, that's, that is one change I see. Um, I'm not sure that I see a giant change beyond that. Yeah. How about you, Nellie Tran? I completely agree. I, I think the difference for me now is that if I say this is anti-Asian, it means something. And I, I think that's a really important difference. I also think that reporting um, is something that people will actually consider doing now. That wasn't something that people wanted to do previously. Yeah, I, I feel like you are pointing to to some of the, the ways that culturally it feels like maybe the conversation has a, has improved a little bit, that, that people are starting to acknowledge. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I hear a little bit of um, sadness that more progress hasn't been made, Professor Tran. And if I'm reading that wrong, do let me know. But, but how do you feel? You're right. I, the, uh, I think that's important to talk about. I actually have thought a lot about this and I am sad. It hasn't changed. It's the attention that has changed. And, you know, I've given so many talks over the last year, and I do feel like I'm still trying to convince people that this is not a new phenomenon. Um, violence and anti-Asian sentiments have always been strong for me. I'm the daughter of Vietnamese refugees and for my community, for other Southeast Asians, violence to, towards us and towards our community and elders is not a new phenomenon. What is new is how much I see it and read about it um, in the media, on social media, and how much recording of these incidences um, has amplified the visibility of it in my, in my regular life. Aro, did you feel like we'd be a little further along based on the reaction that it seemed like anti-Asian racism was getting in spring of last year? Um, I'm not sure that I, I think I try to think of hope um, far more as a verb than as a feeling. Um, and so I think I just try to act as though I have a great deal of hope and that sort of covers my bases um, for my personal for my personal life. However, well, I mean, it was already clear from the very start, I think maybe just like the day after the shootings, um, some communities, their initial reactions was to increase policing um, in Asian areas. And a lot of Asian activists, um, Asian American activists, community leaders were saying, actually, this doesn't help us at all. This isn't what we want. And, and I think that that's, um, that's been a lot of what I've been seeing has been people turn for first, primarily and predominantly to policing. And that's not, that's not, that's definitely not the only answer. And for a lot of people, it's not an answer at all. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about in terms of how do I gauge whether or not um, I feel like things have changed or progress has been made is based a lot on whether or not I feel more or less safe than I did a year ago. And uh, I remember, Professor Tran, there was this story that you told about driving through Poway and you saw men at a traffic light waving American flags. And for a moment, you actually thought about running the red light. And has that sense of fear or 
just this general sense of needing to constantly be aware of your surroundings, has that changed for you? It hasn't changed. I think, you know, I, it was in existence before as well. Um, but I do feel like my my fears are amplified now because I I hear of more stories in my community and I've become a more visible target to uh, to the outside community here in San Diego. So what do you mean by a more visible target? I, I mean, I was on the, the news. And so um, I people looked me up. I got emails afterwards. I you know, my house number was uh, inadvertently in that news clip. Um, and, uh, I asked about whether my email address could be removed from our, um, campus website, but we are public figures. Um, and I want to be accessible, uh, but that's part of the reality of living in the community that I live in. We are very diverse and that means very diverse also in, um, different beliefs, different backgrounds, uh, different political leanings. And there have been incidences in my, uh, immediate community where, um, Asian people and especially Asian women have been targeted and having grown up in these areas, that wasn't new to me. And I'm now reminded of how much I do need to be careful, especially as I have children with me. Um, I've been advocating even at my my son's elementary school that, you know, he's learning about civil rights leaders, but he doesn't come home telling me about Asian American civil rights leaders, that our invisibility didn't change. We've only become victims. And so People can understand when I say this is anti-Asian, but they're not remembering to include us in conversations of, you know, around hope and change. And that really frustrates me that we we are remembered around this anniversary, around this event, but we are not important enough yet to be remembered in the larger fight. And I see that with my students as well, that as they're coming into this awareness that they are other than this community in this in this world, you know, in the, um, in the U.S., that they they still they're finding more moments in their day to day life where they and their community, Asian Americans, are forgotten, where mm -hmm. we are not talked about, um, even though people know we are still forgotten, and that to me makes me really sad. I think Aro it was you who pointed out that there were two shootings at two Asian-owned spas in January in Albuquerque, and it barely made any news in the sense that there's also just this disappearance, it seems like, or less coverage of what is happening, even though it continues to persist. Yeah, I was, um, oh man, the... I was, I'm, I'm reviewing my, I was looking over my, I was looking over just like what's happened in the past month, you know, um, and I know a lot of people have heard about, um, as they shut up, about Christina Yuna Lee's terrible death. Um, there's also Guiying Ma, there's, um, there, there's that man who attacked seven Asian women in two hours in New York. In the past, in the past month, a South Korean diplomat was punched in the face. This week, a man was hit in the head with a hammer. Last February, a man was attacked with a box cutter. Um, it's just that there's there's such a volume of hatred and attacks, and and it's true that much of this never makes um, any kind of national news. Um, and I know there's a lot going on. You know, there's 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 so many groups are under attack. Um, trans people are under attack. Black people are under attack. Other brown people are under attack. There's, there are attacks everywhere, but. And, but it does feel hard when, um, 
when there's all this violence and it barely ever touches the news, when it's still barely being talked about. Yeah, you mentioned Guiying Ma, who was um, sweeping a sidewalk uh, in Queens, and then and this was she was attacked in November and then died of her injuries this past month. And then New York has seen several deaths, uh, actually, as you mentioned, Christina Yuna Lee and also Michelle Go. It reminds me, Aro, so much of something we talked about last year when you said that um, so much of what Asian Americans and Asian women would like to be able to do is just to be able to live, um, to be able to to feel comfortable walking alone or taking their children to the park or to the store alone or to worry less about the safety of their elderly Asian parents. And, and when it comes to that, I, I also just do wonder if, if you feel like you are doing that if, if you feel like you are able to worry less or if all of that is still very real. Oh, oh man. Um, well, I'll say that I carry, um, I carry a safety whistle and um, friends have been buying personal safety alarms. And so I was thinking about just buying some and giving them out to my friends. Um, so <laughs> I guess that's one, one way of saying that, no, I don't feel any safer. Um, I don't think I know a lot of Asian women who, who feel especially safe walking around um, and going about their lives. It's been nearly a year since a man shot and killed eight people, six of them Asian women at three Atlanta area spas. We're talking about what has changed, if anything, since then with Aro Guan. Aro is author of the novel The Incendiaries and co-editor of the anthology Kink Stories. And Nellie Tran is professor, associate professor of counseling and school psychology at San Diego State University. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation if you want to share if you think progress has been made in the fight against Asian aid. How do you feel about what you're hearing from RO or Professor Tran? 866-733-6786 is the number to call. 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or email us, forum at kqed.org. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're looking at uh, one year after the Atlanta spa killings, which would be next week, and how there have been recent incidents and disturbing reports of anti-Asian hate and seeing what impact that's having on people who really did speak out uh, last year around this time. Aro Kwan was one of them. Aro wrote a piece in Vanity Fair titled 
a letter to my fellow Asian women whose hearts are still breaking. And Nellie Tran is Associate Professor of Counseling and School Psychology at San Diego State University, who has also been interviewed extensively about the way that this has impacted the Asian American community. I want to invite someone else onto the program who's also done a lot to look at what has been happening and the climate of anti-Asian racism in America, and that's Professor Russell Jung of San Francisco State University, a professor of Asian American studies there and co-founder of Stop AAPI Hate. Russell Jung, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, thanks for the invite, Mina. I think one of the things that has been coming through in talking with um, Nellie Tran and Aro Guan has just been how it feels like how it feels like while maybe there is a conversation that has changed around anti-Asian racism and it being a real thing, um, that the climate uh, hasn't really changed, that there has actually continued to be a sustained high number of attacks against Asian Americans. Does, does your data bear that out? Yeah, our data, um, we at Stop API Hate, we collect first-hand self-reported incidents of racism. Our numbers continued um, to surge in 2021. Um, it's both because people are reporting more, it's because um, people are more aware of our website, but also because the racism is deep-rooted and, as Nellie said, um, institutionalized. And so um, it's really once the genie's been let out of the bottle, once the political rhetoric targeted Asians as the source of COVID-19, um, that fear and anger has been continued to be um, targeted towards Asians. Um, you know, during the quarantine, I think the racism was actually tamped down. Hmm. We weren't interacting in the public. But once people were coming out of the pandemic, that just gave people more opportunities to attack Asians as we um, went out more. You had a stat that in the last year, one in five Asian American and Pacific Islanders experienced racism. So can you talk about first how you how you reach that stat just and also whether it sounds like you're suggesting it, it actually may be a bit of an underrepresentation of what's really going on? We did a national um, survey that we think is pretty representative. We um, did it in multiple languages. Um, it was online, but I think it's fairly accurate that one out of five Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders experience racism. It's, um, we're not surprised by that rate. Um, we knew that the numbers we received at Stop API Hate was just a tip of the iceberg. So one out of five Asians and Pacific Islanders translates to 4 million incidents of hate, at least last year. Um, it's extensive. Um, it's a pervasive issue. And that's why, you know, like Nellie and Aro were speaking about, we really are in a period of collective racial trauma. Um, those who experience racism have higher rates of trauma. And the rest of us who don't experience racism, we, we feel it vicariously. Um, we know that people aren't being targeted as individuals. People are being targeted as members of a racial group. And so any one of us um, can be attacked. If we see an elder, we know that could have been my mom or my grandmother. So you mean people who, who themselves may not have had an incident directly against them, the effect that it's having on them? Yeah, it's, it's the vicarious collective trauma that um, what one member feels, um, the rest of us also feel. 
The other thing I just wanted to clarify, so then that one in five number was your own survey and that it basically was another way to shore up what is API hate, which is a self-reported um, database, right? It's, it gathers incidents that people are self-reporting mm -hmm. and you were concerned that that may have been an undercount, it sounds like. Yeah, we always knew our self-reported website was just um, a fraction of what was happening. And so I think our survey data um, is corroborated by other surveys um, that also indicate high rates of um, attacks. Um, one problem is that a lot of people say it's an issue of hate crimes, but um, our data shows that it's a range of behaviors. We're getting spat upon. We're being cyberbullied, we're getting mistreated at stores. So um, the racism is is in its extent and in its varied nature is really problematic. It's really scary, actually. You've also quantified how disproportionately it seems Asian women are targeted. Can you talk about what you've learned and what you've seen in your data in that respect? Yeah, the patterns have been consistent. Women report twice as much as men. It seems like Bullies attack those whom they think they can bully. And so women, um, elderly youth are disproportionately targeted. And so I think what Aro and Nelly were talking about, that climate of fear um, that Asian women in particular face is really um, valid. It's, it's, for me, really disturbing and aggering that it's, it's the norm now that women have to walk in fear, have to expect to be extra vigilant, have to watch out when they're on public transit. Professor Tran, how do you interpret that? Why that's happening so much to women? I think, you know, women experience, women have always experienced a lot of sexism. And when it becomes intersectional with, you know, your um, ethnic and racial identity, I think it's, it's, it makes sense why there would be more experiences of discrimination. Um, I think, women also bear the burden often of caring for our next generation. And so there's this other layer as well of fear. And I think um, when it is so prevalent in our media, it is something that we are perpetually having to face. And, you know, Russell mentioned vicarious trauma. And I, I feel like, you know, as people of color, we're often made to represent our entire ethnic and racial group. And so to suggest now that we wouldn't feel collective trauma when our group is being targeted has always been targeted, but now it's in our face. Um, that doesn't make sense, right? So that we have had, we've been made to feel collective trauma and now we feel it even more so. Um, and I think that's, that's part of this conversation of how we got to where we are. I remember our um in your piece last year, you talked about how Asian women still and always are hypersexualized or ignored, gaslit or marginalized and disrespected. How do you process still the disproportionate number of harassment attacks happening to women? Ooh, um, well, I, I, I do think that the ways in which we're hypersexualized, the ways in which the, the, the stereotype of Asian woman, right, insofar as there is a single stereotype, which is already ridiculous because there's Asian covers so much. Um, but the stereotype is one stereotype, a very popular stereotype, is that we're 
submissive, that we're pliant, that and we're hypersexual. Um, and I think all of this, for sure, contributes to to our being viewed as targets. Um, and you know, as as everyone is saying, it's that part. That's nothing new. I feel as though my whole life I've been aware in subway cars, in public spaces, that that I'm seen as an easy victim. Um, and that's just been part of my whole life, I think. Well, let me go to Guy in San Francisco. Hi, Guy. Hi, thank you so much for um, this um, program. Um, my name is Guy. I'm the current Mr. SF Eagle. Um, leather 2022, and I just want to say a few words about um, how Asian men um, experience um, racism in the LGBTQ and leather community. Mm. Um, on Earlier um, in the program, you were talking about um, how Asian women experience um, racism in terms of being hypersexualized. On the flip side of it, um, often Asian men in the LGBTQ and leather community are being seen as, um, I would say, less masculine um, and more or less and less desirable than um, white men. Hmm. And um, myself, I've experienced, um, I would say, I wouldn't say violence, but uh, prejudice. Uh, within the community, um, people have said things to me like, um, oh, you're, you're, you're pretty tall for an Asian man, or, um, uh, oh, you're pretty good looking for an Asian man. And the third one, I cannot mention it on <laughs> this program, it refers to my mm-hmm. private part. And um, so that's what I've experienced myself. I think what you're describing, and, and Professor Tran, I'd love to get your reaction to this, is it's such a combination of things that affect us, not just the violent attacks or the things that are more overt, but also the the slights, the microaggressions and um, and aggressions. Can you just talk about the effect that that has on our psyches, just that buildup and that whole range? Yeah, I, I'm really glad that you brought this in because um, it is, you know, the the research would suggest that there are so many ways that we experience racism, sexism, and um, many different isms in our community. It's very intersectional. And that, you know, what Russell has been able to document that really we hadn't had before um, is not just uh, the overt kind of criminal, large-scale um, access that we experience, but also many of the microaggressions. And in fact, I, you know, as I was thinking about this, that despite my knowing and having worked with Stop AAPI Hate, I didn't report any of the um, incidences that myself and my family experienced over the last two years mm. because they were micro and they were subtle, they were institutional, and they're things that I've experienced my whole life. And in many ways, then, I'm numb to them, right? And I, I study and talk about this on a regular basis, but I, I really see, especially in many of my student populations and then the work that my students are doing, that there are folks who are really numb to this. We, we've been a part of this phenomenon. We're now seeing it all around us. And when it comes up again, um, we're experiencing a numbness because it's just too painful. And there are also parts of our community who are experiencing this for the first time. 
And so these are the first encounter moments where they are being reminded or are learning that Asian Americans, that they themselves are viewed as unimportant, less than, right? That, and that too has a different impact um, on, on the psychological well-being of, of our community. The well, so Asian American community yeah, go ahead, is so sorry. broad. <laughs> There's, we're so broad, right? We have, we're a large, very heterogeneous uh, community. And so we have people who are at very different stages in their kind of racial and ethnic identity development. Yes, that is a really good point. And, and Russell, I think, do you have data on what non-binary folk experience? Yeah, we do. So what Guy was um, reporting is pretty accurate, too. Um, in our sample now, about 3% report that they're non-binary, and they experience racism similar to the rest of the broader community, but they have particular experiences that um, at higher rates. For example, they're shunned more than others. And that deliberate shunning, <clears throat> that avoidance of people is a, another form of othering, of uh, exclusion, of um, non-acceptance that they experience more. Um, being coughed or spat upon, 14% of non-binary people report being spat upon. For me, you know, people ask, how do you know there's been a rise in anti-Asian hate? And I just say, you know, in 2019, people weren't spitting on their fellow humans. I just think it's such aberrant, detestable behavior. But non-binary Asians and Pacific Islanders are getting spat on at higher rates. They're denied service at higher rates. And they actually um, experience a lot more um, cyberbullying as well. So um, it's important for us to disaggregate the data to show that particular groups are targeted um, and are more vulnerable. Um, um, Working class Asian Americans too have much higher rates of um, harassment than um, professional Asian Americans. That's because um, you know low income Asians they have to go to work. They have to be essential workers on the front lines, whereas professionals stay at home, work online. And so, since low income Asians have to be out in public more, they face a lot more harassment and attacks. Well, Gladina tweets, a year since Atlanta and there's been no healing and no drop in hate incidents towards us. Steve tweets, progress has been made in the fight against Asian hate. Yes, in awareness and solidarity, but not in prevalence against a vicious, narrow-minded hate machine given voice and legitimacy in today's conservative backward narrative. The senseless violence must stop. And Mary Lee writes, this makes me so sad. I'm a white, relatively privileged woman in her 70s. When this happened last year, I heard several Asian acquaintances share their hate experiences that I had previously not heard about. I felt ignorant of these experiences and was incredibly saddened. In addition to donating, what can I do to help? I've offered a small... I've offered a number of small Asian women my protection if they're afraid to go to a store or somewhere else, but no one else has taken me up on it. What else can or should I do to help people see the common humanity of all of us? Aro, you have talked about one of the things that emerged after Atlanta was just this prevalence of, of white silence. Do you still feel like that's happening? Do you feel like that's the norm? Marilee sounds like she's trying to fight it. Well, um... Let's see. I <laughs> I don't know. Um, let's say let's say let's let's put it this way. Um, in my own personal life, I 
don't have friends who are silent, I think in large part, because I will no longer have friends who <laughs> have white friends who are silent about this kind of thing as it affects Asian people, as it affects other marginalized people. Um, there are, you know, it, it's so common for people to not know what to say or do. I will say that. Um, that was partly why I wanted to write about it. It's so common for people to be afraid that they'll, um, that they'll do more harm than good by saying the wrong thing. Um, people are afraid that they'll destroy or hurt their relationships with, with friends and family members. And so people, sometimes people choose silence. Um, and I guess what I'll say to that is that silence is part of the problem. Silence contributes to the problem. Um, silence is helping the racism. And it's better to just say something. It's better to do something. Um, and there are so many resources um, online, in person, for people who want to educate themselves. Um, for instance, something that is very available online and that takes maybe an hour or two of your time is there are a lot of places offering bystander training, for instance, which is a great way to, because it's natural for people to, um, if you have it prepared, if you're not ready, it's pretty, it's, 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 it's like our bodies freeze in the face of, in the face of hatred and the face of violence. Um, and bystander training can help, can help us break through that freeze instinct. And I know that Impact, for instance, which is a Bay Area organization, often offers um, bystander training both online and in person. And Asian Americans Advancing Justice um, has a lot of bystander intervention education on their on their website. I want to read Gladina sent us another tweet and Gladina tweets, thank you, R.O., for voicing what many of us are feeling. I'm sorry we have to continue explaining our existence. I was verbally assaulted last year at a New York subway station, not far from where Michelle Goh was killed. The trauma is magnified because my children were with me. We're looking at a year since the attacks in Atlanta that killed eight people, six of them Asian women, and we're talking about what has changed since then. We're talking with Aro Kwan, author of the novel The Incendiaries, co-editor of the anthology Kink Stories. Nellie Tran, Associate Professor of Counseling and School Psychology at San Diego State University, and Russell Jung, Professor of Asian American Studies at San Francisco State University and co-founder of Stop AAPI Hate. And you, our listeners, are with us. What are your thoughts and reactions to what has happened in the year since Atlanta? Do you think we've made progress? How do you gauge it? Share, share your thoughts with us after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. 74% of Asian American and Pacific Islander women 
say they have personally experienced racism or discrimination in the last 12 months. Uh, that's according to a new study by the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum and comes as we approach the March 16th. Murders of eight people, most of them Asian women at three Atlanta area spas last year. And talking with us is Russell Jung of Stop AAPI Hate, which tracks and responds to incidents of hate, violence, harassment, and discrimination against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Araguana writer and Nellie Tran, a professor of counseling and school psychology at San Diego State University. You, our listeners, are with us sharing your thoughts and feelings about what's happened since last year, 866-733-6786 is the number to call if you want to share whether you feel like we've made progress in the fight against Asian hate. Do you feel us moving forward or not? Again, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can email us forum at kqed.org. Professor Tran, I want to ask you about something that you brought up, which is that no one really talks about being both a leader in the community and also being somebody who is directly affected by what's going on, but expecting to lead, but expected to lead through it. Why is that something that you felt like was important to raise and understand? How is that different? Well, I think it amplifies what has been happening, right? That we're seeing something happen in the community. And for many folks, we're being called upon to speak about what we can do about this, how it is impacting us. And we too are part of this pain that, Every time I talk about it, I either become more numb to it or I become more traumatized or pained by it. And yet I'm compelled to continue to, to speak about it. And there aren't enough of us who are on the main stage, who are, who are out here. And yet there are many of us, but I think the invitations kind of go to all the same people because we haven't, we still, you know, we have a bamboo ceiling, right, that we're still experiencing and that our community has not been fully represented um, across the spectrum. And so it's a lot of heavy lifting. And I think, you know, even in your earlier questions about what can people do, you know, when people are constantly asking us, well, what can we do? What, you know, how are you doing? It feels like an additional burden that we have to continue to show up and there's no place to rest. Mm -hmm. now, there's no place for us to just fall apart. Russell, you've shared that you've experienced incidents of of people sort of keeping their distance from you in stores, um, you and your son being shunned. So are your family members, are your own incidents part of the data collected by AAPI hate? And, and what is that like for you? Um, like others, it's traumatizing. I'm traumatized and have, have really... I sought therapy. I really um, seek out support from my church. It's um, a really difficult time. And you just have to acknowledge that this period is painful. This anniversary, I have to steal myself for um, to grieve and to um, and then have to share about it again, like Nellie said. So um, we bring our trauma, we bring our pain into what we're doing. And I think it's um, both fuels our efforts to make change um, because translating the anger, translating the pain is probably the best way to heal. I think we've noticed that people who report um, have been able to um, vocalize um, their anger at America's injustices and then 
um, develop a collective voice. So we think that's, we didn't think about stop API hate having that unintended consequence, huh. but what it's been for people is a, a platform for which they could um, speak out, um, share their grievance, and then develop a collective voice. And I, I'm really glad that um, we've been able to provide that for others. Yes, you're, you're getting at how maybe people are finding a way forward or what they're finding helps them in living through this reality. What have you found helps you, Russell? Um, again, speaking out, sharing the pain, and then um, recognizing that I'm not alone, that others are walking with me, that allies are supporting me. And then what's really heartening for me is to see Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders of all walks of life also speak out, also stand up, also want justice. And seeing young people rally, seeing elders report to us, um, seeing especially you know how elders have resilience and they're reporting to us, hmm. but they have an approach to trauma. You know they've experienced so much trauma in their lives, war, poverty, migration, and then now the bullying and the harassment. Yet they they are um, have so much equanimity, so much power in their ability to accept and still want change. And so I, I really um, recently have been really moved by our elders. <laughs> who've gone through so much already. Our, oh, our elders are pretty fierce, aren't they? <laughs> they really, they really are. <laughs> How are you finding a way forward? What helps you? Oh, um, I think in general for me, if I act as though I have a great deal of hope, um, it's not actually possible for me to feel at all hopeless. And so for me, I've found that possibly the best medicine is, as Russell said, talking about it, um, doing something about it, getting involved in community work. Um, I don't know, throwing, putting on a fundraiser. There's so much that we can do. And I think, I feel as though our bodies are, 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 are kind of very simple animals. Um, and if I'm doing something that shows that I, that, that from the outside looks as though I have hope, then, then I start feeling that hope too. Mm. Do you also spend a lot of time in the company of Asian women like you did last spring? I do. Thank God for Asian women. <laughs> Thank God for the group chats with, um, with Asian women. I, I, I honestly don't know how I'd have gotten through um, these past these past years without that. Let without me go that to community. Yeah. Let me go to caller Alicia in Fairfield. Hi, Alicia. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Everything that's been talked about here is is so close to home for me as a black woman born and raised in San Francisco, I've been exposed to so much, so many great things, but also so much more of the microaggressions, so much more of the um, similar experiences that the Asian women are experiencing in terms of being, you know, uh, treated uh, certain ways on the job, on public transportation. There are so many similarities that there is no way for me to separate myself from Asian uh, women and from Asian men and from uh, the elders. I mean, we have across my family, across the generations, everything that I've seen in my 56 years of living in the Bay Area, it is so similar that we cannot handle all of this individually or divided as groups anymore. Mm. Um, I'm a former journalist 
Um, and so I created a nonprofit media group where I produce content that is about all of us together, about conversating, having talks on public, you know, social media platforms about our experiences, um, whether it's in all areas of life and all generations of our families, there are too many similarities. And so everything that I do, I do in an effort to bring all of us together. Well, Alicia, I'm so glad you do that. And I so appreciate you calling in and saying what you're saying. In fact, another listener, Sungyun, writes, I want to hear what you think about solidarity with other marginalized groups. I think all this hate and bigotry we are seeing against Asian, Latino, Black, and other, Latin, Black, and other LGBTQ community are basically multiple sides of the same coin. What can we do to change these narratives? What Asian hate is not just hate, that Asian hate is not just hate for one particular group, but for anyone who they think is different from them. Nellie Tran, what do you think about that in terms of, in terms of solidarity with other marginalized groups? Yeah. I am so grateful that this is coming up because this to me has been the most, um, one of the the great things about what has happened. Um, Asian Americans uh, have been visibly absent from a lot of the movements, the Black Lives Matter movements, so, you know, this, is, this too has been a racial reckoning for many people within the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities. And coming into solidarity has been, for me, one of the most healing things. And I've been involved in um, more collective uh, race, racial justice movements, but to see more Asian American faces show up have been, has been very rewarding to me. And that uh, folks that I work with, uh, many of my students are coming together in ways that I have not seen in years past and realizing that the injustices that we see are all the same and that it will come for you if you don't stand on the right side of, of, of the social justice movement. And so I think for, I would say that that is the greatest way to overcome our fears is to come together in solidarity to fight for justice for all because we can't leave anyone behind. Well, Alan writes, I'm familiar with the arguments about police versus less police, but the main question I have is whether any dialogue is happening between Asian Americans who disagree. Has anyone had conversations with other Asian Americans about what's best when it comes to keeping Asians safe? Are RO Professor Jung or Professor Tran thinking about this? Would any of you like to take that in terms of dialogue happening between Asian Americans who disagree on this point? This is Nellie. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Nellie, did <laughs> you want okay. to take it? Yeah, I want to, you know, the, a shout out to some of my colleagues here in San Diego. Um, but the uh, Asian Solidarity Collective, I know, has been doing such wonderful work here in San Diego. And that there's been, they've always been kind of on the forefront of educating um, Asian Americans and being in solidarity with our community down here um, and, and letting folks know what the justice system, kind of the history behind the justice system and and fighting to see how we can protect one another and how and showing how the justice system has not always been um, here to protect us as well. And within the Southeast Asian community, we've had um, tensions between our communities and, and the uh, justice system and the police system. So I think continuing those conversations and making sure that everyone knows the history, right, and, and understands what it is that we're well, getting to the root of it, having open conversations about 
our fears and what it is that our community is actually looking for, right? Feeling safe. Uh, folks may not know that there are other ways that we can come to feel safe within our community besides calling on the police to protect us. And I think that those conversations have helped people to really come up with solutions that feel that, that feel good and help us to feel more safe and more in community with our with our groups and neighbors. We're talking about what progress has been made in the fight against Asian hate. This is a fundraising period for many public radio stations. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Russell, where are AAPI, Stop AAPI Hate's efforts focused right now? Because I understand that you propose some legislation. Um, yes. Yeah, Co-proposed. So, <laughs> um, so, you know, we've issued 21 reports in the last two years, and now and we're going to continue to report, but we're pivoting to being a lot more proactive in addressing the racism. And we want to do it in a comprehensive and um, sort of long-term approach. It's, it's not, we have to go beyond hate crimes legislation and think of this as a civil rights issue. Um, the gendered harassment that women face, that's much more widespread than, you know, these violent crimes that you see in the news. And, and it's the norm. So what we're sponsoring is street harassment legislation that makes it a public health issue. And when we were talking about racial solidarity, we're really honored that our bill is co-authored by um, Assemblywoman Bonta of um, the East Bay and Assemblywoman Shirley Weber, um, two women of color who are in solidarity with the API Legislative Caucus. And so we think this approach of um, addressing harassment, not in a penal code, approach, but as a public health approach, um, is the right way to educate people to, to um, and expand the civil rights that were due. So um, we're pretty excited about this legislation because it addresses the bulk of the racism that Asian Americans are experiencing, especially women. It's an effort of um, cross-racial solidarity. And um, it's, a, it's really a pilot for the rest of the nation of how to deal with racism. So um, listeners, please support that bill sponsored by uh, Shirley Weber and Bonta. Well, this listener might, because this listener wants to know, I would love to see more Stop Asian Hate yard signs in the Bay Area alongside Black Lives Matter signs and other visible signs of intersectional solidarity. I have a hard time finding a not-for-profit source for these signs. I ordered a sign on Etsy from a for-profit company, but would love to learn of a way to purchase a sign that supports Stop AAPI Hate or similar organizations. Do you have any response for this listener, Russell? Um, thanks. I think we, I don't, I, yeah, we haven't, Again, we're focusing on policy initiatives more than sort of um, media campaigns or sign campaigns, but um, I'll check out, maybe we'll create some signs that we could um, post on our website that people could get for free. Thanks, though, for the support. Let me see if I can squeeze Niku in from San Francisco. Hi, Niku, did you have a question? Uh, more, I think, of a, of a comment or just to follow up on what someone had said earlier, one of the, um, one of the guests had spoken about the heterogeneity of, of Asian American identity. And it just strikes me that that heterogeneity is so expansive that I, I think that the very notion of Asian American as an identity is really more mythological than, um, than real in, in lived experience. I mean, you have a continent that stretches from the eastern Mediterranean to the 
you know, uh, Western Pacific yes. that encompasses close to half the population of the Earth um, or a third of the population of the Earth. And I, I you know, I mean, I, the, as, as a South Asian American, I, you know, I, um, it, it just, I don't think that that identity really holds when we, um, when we really sort of parse it out and examine it with, with uh, some some meaningful analysis. Yeah, Niku, thanks. That's Ara. What do you think about that? I think you were the one who has often talked about how we contain multitudes. <laughs> we we are so many. Um, we, yeah, we, I mean, yes, we do. We do. We do contain such multitudes. We cover um, more than more than half of, of the globe. Is our is our is is, is it Asian? Um, I will say that one clear way in which um, anti-Asian harassment affects a lot of people is, um, well, you know, there's a, there, I have a standing joke with close Asian friends, um, which is that if we haven't been mistaken for each other yet, um, where are we even really friends? <laughs> and of course, it's a very painful joke that comes from the fact that I've been mistaken with so many different kinds of Asians. Um, and basically it covers, I, I was looking at a map and it covers pretty much all of East Asia, close to all of Southeast Asia, um, parts of South Asia. So that's one way that the, the hatred affects all of us um, in part because in part because we, we all look alike to, to at least some racist people. Well, Nellie Tran, leave us with some thoughts about how we move forward and whether or not you feel like the process of change is just something that that just takes some time and that we're on that road or whether or not you feel like we really need to redouble our efforts at this stage? I think change is slow. And we, you know, I liked Aro's, um, you know, hope is a verb. I have hope. I'm saddened by where we are. And I think that helps me to keep doing this work. And, you know, I think it's important for us to remember to stay in solidarity. Asian American may not, may, may be a heterogeneous group, but it was a political group, one that was created to bring us together in solidarity to fight for justice. Just as women of color was a political term created to bring us into solidarity. So we have to keep fighting and, and, and making sure that the next generations will see the change. Nellie Tran, Aro Kwan, and Russell Jung, thank you. My thanks to Dan Zoll for producing today's segment and to the listeners who shared their experiences. This is Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.